Okay, if you want to turn in your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 4 this morning, we are going through a series in the book of uh, 1 Peter, and also probably we're going to do 2 Peter while we're here. Let's do 1 and 2 Peter, two New Testament books. In your bulletin, there's a little handout. Uh, we do this every quarter, so here's our quarterly statement for the first half of the year. Um, this is for members here at Calvary Chapel. Total income was $620,000, a total... Uh, expenses was 645. Do the math. Um, that pro- running about uh, $4,200 uh, in the red every month on an average. So what can we do? Well, first we can pray. Uh, we need to pray. We need to pray for our country. We need to pray for the economy. Things are not good. And when people are not working, they can't tie, they can't give 10%. And so that's just the way it is. And so we want to pray. Also, uh, you'll be aware that uh, we don't receive any federal subsidies or anything. I can't run a deficit of $4,200 every month here at the church. We can't do that. We just don't do that. We're not the federal government. (laughs) So uh, we're going to have to make some serious cuts in programs and some serious cuts in other things. So be praying for Rob and I as we work through that through. And then I pray for you guys that you might uh, see your responsibilities in that area. So just... We do this once every quarter, and so I just wanted to let you know where we're at. Amen? Let's, um, well, let's, let's pray. Father, we're thankful for the way you provide for us, and we thank you that uh, in the past, in all the years, you've been faithful. Help us to be faithful to what you're calling each of us to do. We thank you for your word, and may it um, speak to our hearts how good it is to have the word of God in our lap, And now may we transfer it for our lap to our hearts and that it might transfer to our actions, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 1. This morning we're going to cover the first 11 verses. Therefore, since Christ has suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same purpose because he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin so as to live the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for the lust of men, but for the will of God. For the time already past is sufficient for you to have carried out the desire of the Gentiles, having pursued a course of sensuality, lust, drunkenness, carousing, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. In all this, they are surprised that you do not run with them into the same excesses of dissipation, and they malign you but they will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For the gospel has, for this purpose, been preached even to those who are dead, that though they are judged in the flesh as men, they may live in the spirit according to the will of God. The end of all things is near, therefore be of sound judgment and sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another, because love covers a multitude of sins." Be hospitable to one another without complaint as each one has received a special gift. Employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Whoever speaks is to do so as one who is speaking the utterances of God. Whoever serves is to do so as the one who is serving by the strength which God supplies so that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ to whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. 
from time to time I'm asked, Pastor, how do I deal with recurring sins and faults in my own life? I'm a Christian. I've received Christ as my Savior. But from time to time I have these recurring things that really are distasteful to me and I know are not pleasing to the Lord. What do I do, Pastor? What do I do? Well, if you notice verse 1, it says, who has suffered in the flesh has, are you ready for this? Ceased from sin. What a promise. That's an incredible promise. So if uh, that has been an issue in your life, um, I've got good news. The good news is the Bible has an answer provided here. And I want to look at that this morning. Now, the way the passage is laid out, this is the way the passage is laid out. He gives a principle in verse 1. A principle in verse 1. If applied, we'll have some effects in our lives. Two effects in our lives, one effect in the lives of those around us. Okay, But in order for those effects to take place, one must put the principle into action. Okay, So let's take a look. Let's first look at the principle. The principle is stated in verse 1. The believer is to arm himself with the same purpose that Christ had. The believer is to arm himself with the same purpose that Christ had. Now this verse is packed full of stuff great theological truth. So let's just take them one step at a time. First phrase is, therefore, since Christ has suffered in the flesh. He's making a conclusion to what we studied last week. The therefore takes us back to chapter 3, verses 18 through 22, and we talked about how Christ suffered for righteousness. He's saying, therefore, what I'm about to say comes from what Christ has done. Not too hard. Okay. So he's making an application from what we studied last week. Now, if you didn't, uh, weren't here, you can just go on the website and click it down and you can listen to last week's message. Okay. Therefore, since Christ has suffered in the flesh, here's the next phrase, arm yourselves. Arm yourselves. Now, this is an interesting term. It's only used here in the New Testament and nowhere else. It doesn't appear anywhere in the else. But in secular literature, it was a military term. It's a military term, and essentially what it's saying is, take up something that will protect you. Take up something that will protect you. And we'll talk about what it's going to protect you from. So it's arm yourself. Take something up that's going to protect you. Now, it's a lot like the phrase, although it's a different word, it's a lot like the phrase that's found in Ephesians chapter 6, you remember what Paul says? He says, put on what? The whole armor of God that you may resist the schemes of the devil. Very parallel, same idea. Different words, but same kind of idea. So he says, therefore, since Christ has, has suffered, arm yourselves, protect yourselves with what? With the same purpose. And purpose of what? What is he talking about? He's talking about the purpose that Jesus had. Therefore, since Christ has suffered, arm yourself with the same purpose that Christ had. Now, here's the question. 
What's the purpose? The purpose that Christ had was a willingness to suffer in the flesh for righteousness. Let me state that again. The purpose he's talking about is what Christ did, and Christ was willingly to suffer in the flesh for the sake of righteousness. And he's telling us to take that up, that same purpose, and it will protect us. What will it protect us from? Look what he goes on. Because he who has suffered in the flesh has taken up that purpose. Here's the phrase. Has ceased from sin. What does he mean there? That's an incredible promise. Do you realize what he's saying? That's an incredible promise. What does he mean when he says ceased from sin? Okay. First, I'll tell you what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean that for sinless perfection. doesn't mean sinless perfection because the New Testament is filled with verses. You know them. All the verses that we will struggle with sin all the days that we live in this body. Amen? If you read uh, Romans chapter 7, it's very evident. And also 1 John chapter 1, verses 5 through 10. He who says he has no sin or you haven't sinned, what? Makes him a liar. The truth is in us. We're deceiving ourselves and his word is not in us. So he's not talking about sinless perfection, never sinning. Because that would go against the whole tenor of what the New Testament teaches. And we have firm scripture that says that's not so. Okay, not sinless perfection. Then what does he mean? Hmm. You have to look at the word. So I went back in the original language. This is an interesting word, ceased. What does it mean to cease? It's an interesting word. It's a verb, to cease. But it's in the perfect tense. Now, what does that mean? Without getting real technical, it means it's a verb. It's talking about, listen carefully, something that happened in the past. It's talking about something that happened in the past with results to the present. Okay? Something that happened in the past with results to the present life. Okay? That's the first thing. Now, I'm not going to overwhelm you, but it's also a passive verb, which means... I didn't do it. Somebody did it to me or for me. Okay. And you're saying, Neil, you're losing me here. Okay. Let me give you a translation. In the past, somebody did something for me that has helped me to be in a place where sin is no longer really controlling me. And I'm, uh, something happened in the past, but I didn't do it, that has an effect in my life even to this day. Well, think about that. Who is he talking about? Something happened in the past. Jesus. He died for me on the cross. And that event is affecting me even up to the present time. Now, okay, that's the word. What is he talking about? I believe what he's saying is when we take up the purpose of Christ, we arm ourselves, we are linked in a deeper way with the death of Christ. That the energy that is directed towards suffering for Christ 
robs sin of its power over us. The energy that is directed towards suffering for Christ robs sin of its power over us. Here's a statement. Sin and its power over us is directly proportional to our willingness to arm ourselves with the purpose of Christ. The power of sin over us is directly proportional to us taking up the purpose of Christ, which is a willingness to suffer for righteousness. I think that's what Peter is saying. The the reason I say that is if you remember in the Gospels, it says, Jesus said, and I think it's in uh, Matthew 16, 24, I think that's the scripture. It says, if anyone will be my disciple, what? Let him take up his cross, uh, die to himself and do what? And follow me, take up my purpose. And when we do, it hinders, it protects us, it arms us from the ravages of sin that sometimes sweep through our lives and take us on rabbit trails where we don't even want to go. The believer is to arm himself with the same purpose that Christ had. And when we do, it protects us from the sins that would wash over us again and again. Okay, so that's the principle. First effect is found in verses 2 and 3. The effect on our struggle with sin. That's what we've been talking about. Notice what he says. So those who have taken up the purpose, suffered in the flesh, has ceased from sin, so as to live the rest of our time in the flesh while we're on this earth, no longer to the lusts of men, and then look at verse 3, and the desires of the Gentiles. That's, it's almost like uh, the general pattern of our life of an unbeliever is, is, is put behind us, is put behind us. And we are now living living for the will of God. We are no longer uh, living our lives in the time, in this flesh, no longer to the lust of men, no longer to the desires of the Gentiles, but living for the will of God. And then Peter lists a series of six activities that are a pattern for many unbelievers. Look what he says. Desires of the Gentiles, the lust of men against the will of God, having pursued a course of sensuality, lust, drunkenness, carousing, drinking parties, abominable idolatries. The point is, when we take up the purpose of Christ, there will be a clean break with the formal life. Not sinless perfection, but we're finished with the pattern that was in our lives before. So, the principles in verse 1, the first effect is in our struggle with sin. Second effect is found in verses 4 through 6. It's the effect on the unbelievers around us. The effects on the unbelievers around us. When we take up the purpose of Christ and it affects us in how we live our lives that has another effect, which is what? 
on the people who are around us who are not believers. Notice the three that are listed in verses 4 through 6. The first effect is found in verse um, 4. He says, In all of this, they are surprised that you do not run with them. So the first effect is they're surprised. When you begin to live that way, when you have taken up the purpose of Christ, willing willing to suffer for righteousness, they're thinking, (laughs) what's the deal with you? They can't believe that you're not running with them. They don't understand why. They don't have a clue why it is. You know, we're having so much fun. Why aren't you doing it? (laughs) I mean... If sin was hurtful at the beginning and it was really painful, do you think you'd sin? You'd probably stay away from it. But sin, now let's be truthful, let's all put on our honest faces. Sin is fun. Why else do people do it? It feels good. It's a lot of fun at first. However, they don't want to talk about the second half of that verse. Look what it says. In all this, they're surprised that you don't run with them to the same excesses of dissipation. Hmm. Dissipation, that's a funny word. So I looked it up in the, in the lexicon and also the English dictionary. And you know what dissipation means? It means, here's the word, wasted. <laughs> they get wasted. So you could translate that. They're surprised that they do not run with them in the same excess of wastedness. Wasted. They get wasted. Now, we've seen that in others, haven't we? Maybe you have some friends. Maybe you have some relatives who are involved in some of the things that are described in verse 3, at the end of verse 3. And you look at them, and they've wasted their lives. Just their excesses of, of wastedness. Perhaps God had blessed them with a strong body a good mind, a good soul. But because they've given themselves up to those things that are listed in verse 3, they're wasted. Their health, their emotions, their brain, their soul. Now here in Southern California, we have a black widow spider. Black widows. Now, normally, if a little child gets bit by a black widow, it could kill little babies. It could kill a young child. But for most of us adults, it's just a really nasty, nasty, big bite. Now, do you know why they call black widow spiders black widow spiders? Most of us know that. Black widow spiders are called black widow spiders because the female of the species, when it mates with the male, after they mate, it kills the mate and eats it. So she's a widow. (laughs) The the spider is black (laughs) and she kills her mate. Now, for the male of that species, the beginning of the relationship is, woo, this is fun. (laughs) But guess what? It doesn't end really good because she kills them and then eats them. Now, (laughs) this applies to many of the things that we've listed here. They're like black widow spiders. I like black widow spiders. You do those things, aren't they? Woo! A lot of fun, but it mm, doesn't end. 
couple of years ago, I was talking to a young man who was involved with a lady that he shouldn't have been. And I told him, that lady's a black widow. <laughs> going to kill you. So the first effect is they're surprised. The second effect is, look what it says. And they malign you. What does that mean? They begin to say, hey, why are you being such a jerk? You know, you stupid Christians. They begin to criticize. And perhaps they even begin to what? Persecute. Why do they do that? First they're surprised, then they malign. Why do they do that? It's simple. Okay, so you're going to go out in a drinking party, okay? You're going to have a drinking party. So you take your buddy and you order a couple of beers and man, you're choking them down. You look over your buddy and he's having Perrier with a little squeeze of lemon in it. I don't want to do that. You know why? Because your righteous behavior puts them down. They watch you. You're not getting drunk. You're drinking Perrier. So you're doing drugs. Token on a, you know, doing some weed. And the other day, he's still drinking his Perrier. <laughs> it's a put down. It's putting you down. Or perhaps you're in an adulterous affair with somebody you shouldn't be, and your, your partner is straight shooter, is faithful to his or her mate. That's a put down on what they do. So after a while, especially if you gently speak the truth in love to them, like Pastor Bob was speaking uh, Wednesday in our video series, uh, it moves past maligning to what? The persecuting mm. actions against you. Okay. So the first effect is on unbelievers when we take up the purpose of Christ is they're surprised. The second effect is what? They malign us, persecute us. We see that all the time. They, make, they call us redneck Bible thumpers. How dare us stand up for righteousness? How can you do that? You're judging me. Stop judging me. But notice the first, the third effect. The third effect is found later in those verses. Uh, their actions will result in them having to give account to the Lord. Did you notice that? But they will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. The third effect is they're going to stand in judgment. Now, did you notice it says that he will judge the living and the dead? Do you know what that means? That means that oftentimes God will bring his temporal judgment on them while they're alive on this earth. What a man sows, he will reap. So even while they're alive, they're going to be judged. And guess what? They get a double-double. It's like going in and out and getting a double. You, <laughs> when they die, when they die, guess what? It's not over. Come on down. Come on, get your second installment of judgment because that's what's going to happen. But there's a way out. And Paul just takes a small digression, just a small one. Peter takes a small digression. Notice what he says. For this... For the gospel has for this purpose been preached. Why? Because <laughs> he knows the judgment's coming. And the, and the gospel is being preached so that they don't have to come under judgment. That's why the ju- ju- judgment gospel is coming. So they have to be judged. 
It takes a small digression. Now, then we come to a phrase that can be bothersome for some. For the gospel, for this purpose, has been preached even to those who are dead. What? That though they are judged in the flesh, as men, they may live in the spirit according to the will of God. Uh, Pastor Neil, uh, what does that those who are dead mean? Okay, okay. Once again, difficult subject. Let me tell you what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean you get a second chance after you die. Now, some of you are hoping, hope, 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 hope that boast says that. No, that's not what it says. Hebrews 9.27 says, and is appointed once for man to die, and then the judgment. Decisions about spiritual things have to be made on this side. Okay, so it doesn't mean that. So what does it mean, Pastor Neil? Okay. Could mean two things. I like number two, but let me give you number one. Remember it says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, it says, before you were a Christian, you were what? Dead in sin and trespasses. That works. Okay, the gospel is preached to those who are spiritually dead. But within the context, I think it means this. Now, he's talking about people who have heard the gospel and responded to it before they died. What do I mean? Well, let me see if I can explain it. There are two deaths in life. First death is physical death. All of you will die. And that is a judgment because of we've all died in Adam. Because the human race is sin, the first judgment that will fall on all of us is what? That you will die because of sin. You will die because of sin. That's the first judgment, and that'll happen to every one of us, no matter how good we are, whether we're saved or whatever. We're all going to die unless Christ comes, and then we'll be changed. Okay. That's the first. However, there's a second death. Ooh, ooh. You want to avoid the second <laughs> The second death is spiritual death. Now, that's what he's talking about. Notice what he says. The gospel has been preached even to those who are dead, though they are judged in the flesh as men. That's the first. There it is, right there. That's the first judgment. Your physical death. That they may live in the spirit according to the will of God. They avoid the second death, which is the spiritual death separated from God from all eternity. That's what I believe he's teaching. Okay? Okay. So when we take up the purpose of Christ, it affects our struggle with sin, which also has an effect on what? On all the unbelievers around us as they watch our lives. The last effect is the effect that it has on our ability to grow in maturity. Now that we've taken up the purpose of Christ and it's affected the way that we live and the way that we react to sin, now we can begin, we can begin to really make some headway in our spiritual life. That's his point. Now, I love the way he comes up in verse 7. So we're looking at the effects of our ability to grow in maturity. Notice what he says. The end of all things is near. Therefore, and he's going to tell us some things. I love that phrase. 
The end of all things is near. Now, normally, when this phrase kind of appears, this kind of idea, he's talking about what? Second coming. That's what he's talking about, primarily. But guys, you can also apply it to each one of us personally. The end of all things is near. You might be here Sunday, this Sunday morning. You might not be here next Sunday. Isn't that true? <laughs> is it about time <laughs> you started getting serious about some spiritual things, especially some of you guys who are a little bit older along with me? You know, a little gray hair or a little no hair? <laughs> Isn't it about time? He's saying, you know, you ought to begin to grow in maturity. But primarily he's talking about the second coming. But we're a lot closer to the second coming than when Peter wrote this. Okay. Now, then he, he lists one, two, three, four things, four applications that because we've taken up the purpose of Christ and because it's affected our struggle with sin, we can now begin to make some real headway. And notice what he says. And we'll move really quickly through these. Verse 7, right thinking right thinking, sound judgment, and sober spirit, right thinking and self-control can greatly enhance our prayer life. Right thinking and self-control, which comes about because we're no longer struggling so much with sin, because we've taken up the purpose of Christ, because we've realized that we need to suffer for righteousness, and that becomes a theme. We've picked up our cross, we're following Christ. Second one. Verse 8, we're to love one another, love one another with a fervency because love covers a multitude of sins. Now that doesn't mean covering up sin. That doesn't, that's not what that means. You know what it means? It means we can love one another because we're not focused so much on ourselves that we can accept people and love them and love them in spite of their faults and failures. And you can do that, and where you get to do that is by taking up the purpose of Christ, which is to suffer for righteousness. Because a lot of times you say, well, there's no way I'm going to have anything. No way. But you've got to die to that. You've got to die to that. You've got to... And it's almost like suffering with some people, isn't it? Yeah, it is. You've got to love them fervently. Then he goes on. He says, be hospitable to one another. That's easy. Uh, no, wait a minute. Did you read the rest of the verse? Without complaint. <laughs> now, you be hospitable and grit your teeth. But you know how you really be hospitable without complaint? You take up the purpose of Christ, which oftentimes means what? To suffer for righteousness' sake. You can be hospitable. Pastor Bob was talking about this uh, this Wednesday. When somebody comes into church, maybe with a mohawk or oil, they've got tackle box face and they've all got stuff, <laughs> hooks and stuff hanging from them. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. No, we, we fervently love them because it, it, it covers a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another. Welcome them without complaining. Then he goes on, and he talks about gifts. 
Do you know that when you become a Christian, you receive a supernatural gift? That's what it means here when he says special. Each one of us is a gift. Now, you know what a steward is? Because he mentions, he says, uh, being a good steward. You know what a steward is? It's somebody who's been given something and you use it. You just don't sit on it. Remember the story about the the three servants, one was given ten talents, one was given five, and one was given one, I think. I think that's what it is. And the first two doubled it, and the, the third one, what did he do with it? He, he never used it. He never used his ability that God gave him, the talent, if you want to take it that way. And if you read the words of Jesus, they weren't real positive towards that, you know, that young man. So each one of his, are you using your gift? Are you using your gift? Are you being a good steward of what God has given you? Then, notice what he says here. He says he divides the supernatural gifts up into speaking gifts and serving gifts. Now, a lot of times there's kind of a mix, but he separates them into two gifts. But I thought it was interesting the way he says, because when you're using your speaking gifts, you're to speak the word of God. Not the word of Neil or the word of Pete or the word of anybody else. When you speak, you're to speak the word of God. Then he goes on, and when you serve, you are to serve with the strength which God gives you. Now, why does he do that? Because when I, when I speak the word of Neil and I serve the Lord in my own strength, you know what happens? <laughs> Nothing. Or an awful, how about this, nothing. It's not that nothing happens, but what happens is an awful mess. Isn't that true? When you speak, and you're speaking your word, and you're serving the Lord in your own strength, you make an awful mess of it. And nobody gets ministered to, but he gives us the real reason. So that, notice in the latter part of verse 11, when you speak at the utterances of God, and you serve with the strength that he gives you, that God is glorified. Aha, there it is, there it is. Because what happens is, they see a doofus like me, and they see God move, and you know what they say? I know it's not him, it's God. And Jesus Christ gets glorified and lifted up. Not me, not you. So the last effect of applying that principle is the effect that it helps us grow in real spiritual maturity and begin to use our gift and begin to be that person that we could be, that we might begin to make a difference in the body of Christ. Okay. Now, you're thinking, well, that was a nice sermon, Pastor Neil. I think. And you're thinking, well, you know, that's for people who are really serious about Jesus. But let me read your passage. I'm going to close with this. Here's the passage. This is Philippians chapter 2. Paul writes, Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. He's talking about the same thing. Who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself, taking on the form of a bondservant, and he suffered and died. He's talking about the same thing. You see, what Paul talks about in Philippians chapter 2, what Peter talks about in, Philipp- in, uh, in chapter 4 is not optional. 
It's not optional for, for hoi toy, you know, real on fire Christians. It is the way we arm ourselves against the ravages of sin that sometimes sweep through our lives, my friends, my friends. And it makes us a witness to the unbelievers. It enables us to begin to grow in maturity. It is not optional. That's not the question. The question is, what are we going to do with what the Bible says? Well, I'll have to leave that to you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that... um, Peter speaks so clearly about what Jesus spoke in the Gospels and about what Paul spoke in Philippians. It's a theme that repeats itself over and over again. May you give us the grace and the power to live that kind of life, to yield to your word and see those effects working in our lives, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand with me this morning.